Welcome back, Inebriate. Uh, is your host, Andy, as always. And, um, you know, we tend to get a ton of musicians, but we've been on a streak where we haven't had a musician in quite a while, it feels like. And today is going to be no different. Um, so today we are joined by uh, Douglas Vermeeren. I think I got that right. Yep. And uh, actor, director, stuntman. Um, welcome to the show, man. Cool. Well, hey, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, so I kind of took a peek at your website, and it sounded like you kind of struggled in school until you kind ah. of found acting. Is that is that a I fair assessment of the year? Yeah, no, honestly, I no kidding. It's funny. Even during the pandemic, I tried to like say, "Hey, now I'm an adult. Maybe I could go back to school." And I even still struggled there. So like, school has always been like murder for me. So yeah, for real, I just I never could do it. Yeah, I, I've never been a good student myself, um, especially going through like public high school and whatnot. Um, I always excelled at math. Oh yeah, but math that was the worst for me though. <laughs> but it was my it was one of my worst grades. Oh, that's crazy. Because my argument was, if I knew it, I shouldn't have to do the homework. Fair enough, I guess. So I would do well on the test, but my homework grade would be so low it would drag my average down. That's crazy. Well, for me, like, honestly, my feelings, because I had to do a math class with this one that I went back for like the pandemic, whatever. And I was like, everything I need to know my whole life is on my phone. So why am I even doing this? Right. So yeah. I couldn't get it. But I, but I have to admit, and I'm not trying to beg on the school system. Okay. But the reality is, I think sometimes, and I'm not blaming the teachers either. I think it's the curriculum, because I think the teachers, to some extent, really do want their kids to succeed. But we got to learn all this shit that's not worth anything to anybody. So I think that's really the problem, right? But I think it's kind of twofold. I mean, like, first of all, we learn a lot of things that you can just look up. Right. And, you know, the, the education isn't keeping up with the technology. But in the same aspect, everyone learns differently. And I, I, it kind of was what I got the feeling from when I was reading your your little bio there was, you know, I, I learned differently than other people. And it sounded like once you found what you were into it clicked well you know it, it's so strange that you say that because if i were to say what's the most valuable things that school gave me number one it, it was to be how how to be social and to be with people and to work with people that was the number one gift for sure because even in my industry in film and tv they say it's all who you know but it's mm -hmm. really friendships it's not even who you know if you can't build a relationship with them it, it's no good so school helped me do that but the other thing i think that school did is it kind of put me in a competitive spirit and maybe a good example, totally not even acting related, is when, like, I'm from Canada originally, and in Canada they make us speak French too, right? So yep. uh, when I was in about grade I eight. I thought you were going to say play hockey. <laughs> yeah, well, well, there's that too, right? But anyway, so I had this teacher call me literally up to the front of the room, showed me my French marks, and it was like, yeah, maybe you should go do, like, home economics or something different, right? Because you're just not going to skill, like, you got yeah. nothing here for French. So no kidding, I was super upset about that. Obviously, it was a big blow to my self-esteem as a kid in grade eight and all this kind of stuff. So I went and I lived in France for about two years. And I was nervous going there in the first place because like I'll never learn how to speak French. But I was able to come home speaking fluent French and I speak fluent French now. And no kidding, yep, I went back and I told that teacher, hey, do you remember me kind of thing like that? Yeah. Everybody wants that one punch at the end. But the reality is I wonder if that teacher's telling me I couldn't do something actually helped me and then when I realized that I could do it, now for the rest of my life, I've been like anybody that tells me you can't, you're an idiot, right? Like I, I've got no uh, no respect for someone who says to someone else, you can't do it because you can. You can do anything. Uh, 
I've been asked many a time, like, what kind of advice would you give someone who wants to get into podcasting or music or, or whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be? And my answer is always the same. Don't do it. Yeah. Because if me <laughs> telling you not to do it is going to cause you to pause even for a second, you yeah. don't have what it takes. Like, you yeah. have to kind of go in that face of, you know, if someone tells you not to do it, you kind of have to have that, like, well, I'm going to do it anyways. Well, you, you know, it's interesting because my philosophy now is if one other human being on the planet has done it, that means you can do it. But don't try to copycat them. Like, wh- what's that saying that great artists steal? And I kind of think that that's the way I live my life is that I'm going to do it because I've seen other people do it, but I'm going to do it my way. And mm-hmm. my way for me is going to be better than whatever they've done anyways. Cause just because what do we say that you better be yourself because everybody else is taken, right? <laughs> right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing, right? Like if you try to copy somebody else, of course you're going to fail. But if you see that they've done it and use that as a catalyst, I think there's so many things that we can do. In fact, you know, sometimes that's exactly what the world needs. Like it, it's kind of funny. I was having a conversation the other day with someone about uh, different kinds of films that are out there. And they were pointing out how so many like action sequences have been stole from other movies. So-and-so then repeats it, repeats it. But every time somebody does it, they add something to it and it makes it more unique. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if we're still building movies the same way that they were in the 1930s, I think we'd all be in trouble. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it, it's it's so hard to even come up with a unique idea just because of, you know, the human experience is so much the same. Um, I went and saw Jim Jeffries with my son. Do you know Jim Jeffries, stand up comic from yeah. Austria? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, so I went and saw him with my son, Pat, in this not this past December, December before. And his new special came out and he does a whole bit about how he takes, uh, I think it's hymns, which like lowers his libido, <laughs> you know, but grows his hair and then has to take something to offset that. And we have a stand up comic that we use on the regular. Who Like even before I went and saw Jim Jeffries was doing that joke. And it's not that either one stole from the other person. It's just, it's part of that common human experience that it's hard not, you know, to not, like it's it's not stealing it's just everyone kind of arrives at that same thought well, at the same you time. Know, it's interesting that you say that because um when i'm not doing movies i actually speak on cruise ships in fact i just got home yesterday from speaking on a cruise ship that was just through hawaii and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so on that rotation of that trip they had six no seven different comedians come through and it's interesting on a cruise ship i mean everybody's got sort of a common we're on this boat together thing and right. a lot of jokes sort of to be about some of the same stuff that we always see on cruise ships but it was just different that everybody had a different perspective and point of view and different things that like from our backgrounds and everything that just kind of gave us a new context so it wasn't even like they addressed the same topics sometimes but it wasn't always even the same joke and it was funny how different people sort of saw the world so I, i'm grateful for that and by the way even for actors i think that's yeah. the same thing too like when i'm at home and i'm reading a script uh, I have my interpretation on that. And oftentimes with the movie script, it's different than theater. I'm not rehearsing with the whole gang, right? Like I'm doing this on my own, uh, coming up with the character, learning the lines. And then when I get on the set, well, the other actors have done that at, at home too. And so they've got a different interpretation of what they've read. And then you've got the director as well. And heaven knows even the writer probably is like, this is what I wrote. So right. it's a, a collaboration where everybody just tries to find the art in the way that it is. And Sometimes you come up with some really magical stuff. Other times, yeah, let's be honest, uh, wah, 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 it doesn't work, right? Yeah. But, but I mean, that's part of the creative process. Like It is, right? It's just, and it's exciting, right? You just never know what you're going to be part of. And maybe that's part of the adventure that I like about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, we run a, a figure drawing group and I and so many people are like, oh, you know, it's not, I, I didn't do that good or, or, 
you know, I don't draw that well. I'm like, it's not, it's like a practice. Like I think creative people make bad stuff more often than they make good stuff. It's just, you don't see it because it's the rehearsal or in the writing process or, you know, before you put it to film or before you put it to canvas, like all your practice is not good because if it was good, it wouldn't be practice. Well, I I wonder too, because I was just um, uh, not too long ago in Malaga, Spain, which is the hometown of Pablo Picasso. Mm -hmm. And I went to the museum and, you know, I was really astonished actually, because I knew he was a great painter, but as I saw some of the stuff that he did by playing by the rules, it was fabulous. It was incredible stuff. Like it's, it's just amazing. And then all of a sudden when he breaks the rules, we've got stuff that sometimes people just don't understand. Yeah. Right. Just don't get. Um, but the thing that I kind of, I don't know, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe like there's probably people far better qualified to talk about him than me, but I almost wonder if him discovering his style was kind of like a happy accident, right? It's like, this is like so way out there, but it's it's still fun to do and people know I can do whatever, but I choose to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, sometimes that that whole creative process, you just discover stuff you didn't even really know existed, right? Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, you talk about him breaking the rules and as a filmmaker, I'm sure you, you have that experience, but you have to know, you have to know the rules in order so to you know them. why and when you're breaking them opposed to just being not, you know, completely ignorant of how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of that fine line because, you know, there are certain things in a story or a film that have to happen. You know, you know it's, have- it's interesting that you say that too. And I almost wonder because film is a very expensive medium as we mm-hmm. know. And I think in order for people to trust you enough to allow you to break the rules, they kind of have to understand or trust that you know the rules. So when you make a suggestion that's contrary to that, they're like, yeah, I'm, yeah like this guy knows enough. That might be something rather than just somebody who comes in and says, ah, you know, I'm going to try and spaghetti, throw this at the wall, see what sticks. And it might be good. And by the way, it's going to cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars. You willing to roll the dice with me? <laughs> like, right. I mean, If you've got that experience and that framework, then people are more inclined to say, you know, Maybe he's on to something, but if you don't, it, it could be devastating. Like, I mean, it could be really a problem. How much, I mean, you talk about budgets, like how, how much is budget like part of your life? I mean, as a director, I feel like that has to be that constant struggle. You know, everybody wants more to do more with, but like, yeah. But, but that's, this is the other thing, too. Sometimes if you give people too much money, they end up giving you crap because they overwork it. Mm-hmm. I kind of love, like um, Steven Spielberg once said, although I've not found the source for this, somebody, you know, I, this keeps getting repeated as a quote from Steven Spielberg. So if it's not from him and he's watching this podcast, I'm sorry, but it sounds pretty Oh, my funny. God, if he's watching. <laughs> own, own it, Steven. Yeah. But, but he basically said films are never completed. They're simply abandoned. And I think if we look at some filmmakers, you know, they always want to, oh, if I had more money, I would have done the scene like this or whatever. But the truth is, I think it's better when they don't have as much money because now what what do we use to solve the problem? It's creativity. Mm-hmm. If you can't throw money at it, you have to be creative. And I think that, uh, like, we just finished a film called How to Be a Hitman 101. I'm super excited and proud of it. The reality is we didn't have the budget to shoot a bunch of people and, uh, you know, do all the gun work and all the stuff that we normally would have done. And if you think a movie like Hitman, well, you got to kill a few people to make it work, right? So how do we do it? would be an interesting movie if they didn't. Yeah, (laughs) Hitman and nothing happens. People are like, what? This is a little bit ridiculous. But um, we found some very creative ways to accomplish those hits, so to speak. And I think we've done a really cool job. I don't want to give it away because when you see the film, you're like, oh, my gosh that's interesting, right? It's artistic. It's the cool way to do it. And so I think, you know, this idea of um, 
having financial restraints, I think sometimes just makes people think a little harder than they normally would. And when, when we're, we're taking the easy route, we don't really come up with creative stuff. We don't come up with stuff that people remember. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that, it's, it's that adage of it was, if it wasn't hard, everybody would do it, you know? And it's like, they do. Part of the one money on it. That's exactly what they do. Everybody does the same scene. Right. So, yeah. yeah. It made you just made me think of like, um, and it's not even a budgetary restraint, but, um, in kill bill, when the bride is, you know, fighting the crazy 88, yeah. the, I think where well, they wanted to rate it X or NC 17 or something because of, of the violence. And, you know, they're like, Oh, this needs to be cut. This needs to be cut. And Quentin Tarantino somehow came up with the idea. If he made it black and white, it wasn't going to be as shocking. And that's why most of that fight is in black and white. And it looks yeah. amazing. And you know what, for this film, we're kind of hoping for that nasty rating because we think that, it, it kind of deserves that. It's it's pretty bloody. Like we try we try to set some records with how much blood we could bring to the screen. So we'll see what happens with that. But you know, it, it's interesting that you kind of use that as an example because now what's interesting is when somebody sees Quentin do that, all of a sudden for the next ten years we got films that are basically trying to rip off Quentin. Rather, oh, of course. If, yeah. So yeah. It, 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 again, somebody has you know, this challenge with, with the, the budget and they can't pay for these things. Well, I think they've got to find a new way to do it. And that's, or, or uh, maybe it's not a budgetary thing. Maybe it's again, like you said, the ratings, or maybe it's something that the actor can't perform, or maybe it's something that, right. So whenever there's a limitation, I think it causes us to find a new creative way. And that translate, that energy of creativity translates onto the film and just gives us a better production overall. Right. And by the way, the other thing I noticed with film, people take the shortcuts and and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize filmmakers because I'm in that category too. Okay. So this is yeah. me too. Generally, when we look at a script, we start thinking, how can I shoot the master of this? Then we're going to shoot the close-ups of this. Then we're going to shoot that character as a single. Then we're going to go and do the reverse on that. And that's kind of how we're going to plan the scene. But when you you don't have the money to do all those shots and you got to find a way to kind of capture this, or maybe you've got to find a way to, okay, let's, you know, we don't, we can't bring in a dolly and I don't have the ability to, I've got the actors for one day and there's no way I could shoot all this and that we've got to find a new way to do it. And sometimes we come up with some really cool stuff, right? So thank goodness for those limitations because they, they keep us from thinking, how should we say outside of the, the film school box, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. So is that like what you do when you first get the script is you kind of like start setting up your your shots and your storyboards is that kind of like step well, it, one? it's interesting because because i've uh, as as you were saying in the beginning so i've done stunt work i've produced i've directed but mostly i'm acting now and okay. so um my job I, I wouldn't say it's easier it's different so my job now is how do i make a character out of this and i want to do that without being cliche so i'm always first of all one of the best advice things that i've ever been given when it comes to acting is to just listen because every line that I will share, like people don't normally talk unless they've got a stimulus, mm -hmm. right? But what was it that made me talk? Was this something that made me feel like I got to defend myself? Something that made me angry? Something that hurt my feelings? Was it something I just feel like that person's wrong and I've got to correct them? So what is my motive for actually talking? So that idea of listening is really, really important. And then I think the other really big thing that everybody in life kind of has is what do you really want? So if I'm in yeah. a conversation in a film and there's, let's just use an example, a really beautiful woman there, maybe I'm super sexually attracted to her. So I'm going to say things that I think will progress me towards where it might be a possibility, right? Mm -hmm. So even if I'm saying mean things to her, I would say them in a way that, hey, right? Yeah. So, 
So we got to kind of understand what does the character want, right? Or if I want information from somebody, because I play a cop quite regularly. If I'm trying to interrogate somebody and I want them to slip up or something, I, I will have hidden motives of why I'm saying what I'm saying. So that, that makes it, it really difficult. Um, you know, just a lot of homework on there. Uh, in fact, people often ask, what's the hardest part of being an actor? And then they fill in the blank. Is it memorizing lines? Well, sometimes, but really it's having the lines come across as human. So right. they're not, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it, you know, I can relate to that as a visual artist because the hardest thing to learn to draw is the human face. And it's because we look at them all the time. And even though you don't really think about it, we're really good at telling the difference between human faces. So you're trying to incorporate or to portray a human face, not only as a human face, but as a very specific human face. And it's that kind of like trying to make, like we talk to people all the time. So you can tell even in real life, not even necessarily movies when someone's not being genuine, like we have that ability. Say that because I was just talking with a friend of mine who's a theater actor and on stage, he said, my biggest challenge is, is I've got to, you know, make this believable to this big audience. But I'm like, you know what, like with film, it's a little different because now our big audience, like it's just a slow frame. Right. Mm -hmm. So people are looking at me really close up. And if I'm thinking something, they, they need to see it in my eyes. So even if I'm not using words, if I'm not genuinely thinking it, if I'm just doing a throwaway thought and the actions, uh, people are like, ah, oh, it's so fake. It's phony. So yeah. really under that, so let's call it a microscope, all the details of what I'm trying to do um, really become evident. And if I'm not dialed in, it's difficult. And by the way, just to put it in context, you got to remember on a film set, number one, you're doing this generally out of chronological order. Yep. You're doing it in, in a in a shorter, long take. So sometimes even just that look, he'll say, we just need this to pick up. Let's get him from the camera. We'll just get his reactions. And they'll have the continuity girl or someone else read his lines if that actor's not there. So I'm now responding to somebody who's not even the actor I'm acting with, right? right. And then keep in mind, you've got a whole crew of people that are around with jobs to do and lights and cables and cameras and makeup and blah 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 and you're still having to have that intimate moment right so i i, th I think sometimes people kind of don't understand w w the magic that's just occurred like when we see somebody like an al pacino and they're doing a close-up on him and he's even just having a thought right i mean that's powerful stuff he like that's a master at work and honestly i'm jealous i wish i could get there better because some of those guys that i admire they're just they're so incredible right they're just incredible yeah I one of my favorite scenes of an actor not doing anything, I guess, is the way I would put it. Even like it's just kind of weird. Hopefully you'll know what I'm talking about is there's a scene in Ocean's Eleven where Brad Pitt is sitting next to George Clooney and George Clooney's like running over. You know, do we have enough people? Do we? And Brad Pitt is just completely zoned out and not even like listening to George. And George is just kind of talking to himself. And Brad Pitt is so good at being there, but not like he's literally <laughs> just like, you know, like if your friend was just watching the, the game and he's just, you know, all this movie production is going around him and he's just like totally disinterested. Well, even I, I, I really love Brad Pitt. And in fact, uh, there's quite a few actors in my mind that fall into this category where a lot of people have the mistaken idea that, oh, he is where he is because he's just damn good looking. And that's part it, of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's and, not an option. Yeah. He loves that compliment. But yeah. but the thing that I think is missing with that is people don't realize that there's a lot of good looking people on this planet, but he has the ability to just captivate people. 
mm-hmm. with, with his actions. Like, I mean, there's so many films of his that I, I just love. And obviously F- Fight Club is one that comes to mind, obviously. Of course. Yeah. But yeah. you can't help but watch when he's on the screen and just want to see him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just, see what, just watch what he does. Um, one of my favorite scenes is Seven, or films is Seven. And, of course, you remember at the oh, end yeah. when he up that box and sees what's in there and for mm-hmm. those that haven't seen it well go see it i'm not going to give it away but it's just like he's just so good like it's just he's he's a great actor i just i enjoy him a lot i think he's great yeah, yeah. and i think he's willing to be okay with not being the pretty boy like if you've seen 12 monkeys oh yeah you know like he he's doesn't have to be that hollywood you know leading man all the time you know, he'll take but the interesting I, I, I role to take the interesting role. Yeah, and I think this is an important thing. Like somebody told me once, um, and hopefully I'm doing it. Like I'm trying my best. As an actor, it's very tempting to say yes every time a job comes, especially if you're not working, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think a, a big key is learning how to stay in your lane, right? So what is it that you're really good at? What is it that, you, you know, you can be believable portraying and, and the kind of acting style that you have and everything else? So, so for example, I, I, I could never see like uh, – Ben Stiller in an Ocean's Eleven, right? Like yeah. we saw him at Tower Heist, and I think he did great there. That's a heist movie again, but it's a different lane. And and I love Ben Stiller. I'm a big fan of his. In fact, I I love what's happening with this Tropic Thunder discussion right now, as you as you're probably well aware. Sure. Oh yeah. yeah. But but the thing is, he's in a different lane, and he understands where he belongs, and that's made him very successful. Same with Adam Sandler, and now we see Dwayne Johnson as well. Like the kinds of films that they're doing, they understand their lane, and I think that's a big part of being an actor. It's like um, maybe a better way to describe it is every actor has a brand, mm-hmm. right? If we play something too far outside our brand, it just it alienates the people that we work with, right? Yeah, I, I agree a lot, but there are like, I mean, you brought up Adam Sandler and one of Adam Sandler's biggest hits recently was Uncut Gems. And that is very much yeah. outside the and, Adam and Sandler he is, brand, you know, he's shifting brands, he's shifting lanes. And I wonder, and again, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the truth this is my opinion on it. I wonder if as some of us as actors get older, we're like, there's things I haven't done. And, you know, where I was, like, say, for example, even Pierce Brosnan, um, you know, is the James Bond, the suave kind of person. As he's gotten older, there's been a lot of different roles that he's taken on that are not mm-hmm. necessarily in that Remington Steel kind of lane, right? Yeah. And, and that's the person I admire because he can pull it off and he does very well with it. So I think, you know, there's there's those that can transition very easy into those other brands, especially as their acting and so forth matures. So, yeah, I, I, I love yeah. Adam Sandler too, and I hope I, we see more... Um, I'm trying to be gentle with the word. Let's put it this way. Because like with his younger stuff, like the Happy Gilmore and stuff, we all enjoyed that. It was super yeah. fun. But it, it wasn't maybe as deep as some of the more... Yeah, but it, it's not supposed to be, you know? Like, that's kind of the point. Yeah. That's why I'm saying I want to be gentle. I don't definitely, I definitely don't want to sound like I'm being negative about it or not enjoying it because uh, I still put those movies in and I laugh my guts out. In fact... Um, I, everybody's in the audience now is going to think I'm a, an idiot for saying this, but one of my favorite movies is Waterboy. Still, I just love it. It's funny, right? It's a funny. I know movie. a lot of people who that wasn't. I was more of a Happy Gilmore. I like the wedding. I love Center. Happy Gilmore too, yeah. but I mean, all of them made yeah. me laugh. But anyways, yeah. Adam, so, if, you're, if you're watching, you, you made <laughs> you you were actually making me think of you know kind of that stay in your lane, and I feel like there are actors who don't have a lane and they kind of fall into that character actor, sure. you know, it, it's interesting. Cause it's, I feel like that would be harder. And the one that jumps to my mind is um, Giovanni Ribisi. 
Oh, of course. Yeah. I think he's an amazing actor and like none of his roles are similar. And like, I don't feel like he gets enough credit because like he's an amazing actor, but like most people have no idea who he is. Oh yeah. No. And I, I love him too. And, and there's so many that he's done that just, uh, honestly, uh, I just, I, I love it. In fact, I was just watching, have you seen uh, middlemen? Where, where he so. and his partner come up with the ability to uh, develop, they develop a system for porn sites to be able to use credit cards. Oh no, I've not seen this. Oh, and and, and uh, Luke Wilson is in it, and all this. Go see it. Okay, I'm not going to give it away. Okay, he did a fabulous job in that. He is just he's great, but it's not a, a super well known movie. But I was just watching it the other night, and uh, oh, I just thought this is fabulous. It's based on a true story, by the way. Yeah. Uh, kind of what happens is they end up uh, getting like. You know, Giovanni Ribisi's character and, and another fellow, they end up getting Luke Wilson to kind of manage their business that grows and they get entangled with the Russian mafia and all this other kind of stuff. And it's it's not really about the porn industry. It's about just the whole mix up of how everything that could go wrong does go wrong. Yeah. And yeah. It's very but interesting. Right. The, the classic, you know, that's a classic story trope. You oh, know? of course. Like, yeah. yeah, case yeah. But it's a true story based on how yeah. a lot of things, even like I think PayPal came out because of this. Thing. everything how we process payments on online sort of developed because of this right so it's just very interesting historically yeah. that's cool um so what are you working on now you said you uh, hitman 101 is coming yeah, out, or I just is out? Sorry. um i don't know the release date on that but it's just around the corner so i'm sure that they'll bring me back in for a couple of reshoots and some uh often what happens is they'll bring me in to clean up sound so it could be some adr and some things like that mm-hmm. um, I, i'm actually super excited i i personally think that that's going to be um one of my best movies for this year and and as you as your listeners probably know once covid has kind of gone away like now it's going away there's more movies being shot probably now than ever before because the streaming services you guys have watched everything so yeah. we got to get more stuff in so i've got that i just finished a scary movie in london called bring me a skin for dancing in it's a scary movie uh, i'm going back to do another one called big cats uh, i start on that may the 8th this year I've also got another one called The Lurker, which is, uh, I play another cop, and that's a scary movie as well. Uh, going to, funny enough, I'm shooting in Niagara Falls. So I'm not sure, I've not been to the location, so I'm, I hope they don't throw me over the falls. But hey, you never know. <laughs> I don't think they can do that. Yeah. I mean, they could, not legally. Yeah, um, legally, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I actually just signed on to do a TV series, too, called Operation Majestic, which I think is really cool because it's based on uh, conspiracy theory UFO stuff, especially with all the shit we're shooting down lately. Oh <laughs> it's just gosh, like this yeah. is perfect timing. By the way, I thought this would be the best. we got to build a balloon in the shape of the Millennium Falcon and send it up there just to see what happens when they go to shoot it down, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Oh, but, it, um, it's it's so crazy right now. And, it is and, crazy. Um, but, you know... <laughs> whatever <laughs> yeah. so, but I love operation majestic i think it's a cool storyline and i'm allowed to talk a little bit about it so kind of what happens is um it's a tv series of course mm-hmm. and so um basically this uh this guy starts off the story at the beginning he comes into the police station with his hands up and he's got blood all over him and a gun in his hands he just keeps saying i don't i don't want to don't want to hurt anybody i don't want to hurt anybody i don't want to hurt anybody i don't, don't want he's all like kind of in his own thoughts and he's like kind of messed up so I'm like the town sheriff kind of guy in this small town. And I sit him down in the interrogation room. I'm like, tell me about it. Like, what's going on here? Tell me about it. And he just basically says, the lights in the sky made me do it. The lights in the sky. So I'm mm. like, who does that? Like, this is messed up. This guy's like totally got mental illness or whatever. Or I don't know what's going on. So I go out to investigate his ranch and all this kind of stuff. And I find nothing there that would indicate there's something bizarre. 
Like it's just a regular ranch. But as I go to leave, all of a sudden this old stranger dude stops me and he's like, are you here about the lights in the sky? And now all of a sudden we understand there's something more. And he points out that one of them at one point crashed on the hill over there and I need to go check it out. And then it leads into this whole conspiracy with government stuff and all this very X filesy, but I think it's a cool story. Like it's a really yeah. right. Um, then I'm also heading to the Philippines to do um, kind of a, I guess it's a bounty hunter slash I don't know. I, I'd compare it maybe to Kill Bill. Super ultra violent. It's called a bullet with their name on it. So we're shooting that in June. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I just finished something called The Awakening, which is a science fiction show. Uh, Aaron Glanfield, who is a um, award winning director. Uh, wrote the script and directed this and so it's pretty cool but yeah i'm, I'm busy as all could yeah be. that sounds great i mean like it sounds hey, like but you're if you're watching still looking for more opportunities <laughs> reach out we'll talk about it but yeah no i mean it's it's exciting times like i really love it and i'm so glad that so many people now have access to equipment and funding and talent and like it's not like the old system where you need to have a whole pile of money and, and connections to make a movie. Like you can do so much now with what's available. It's just awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I, well, I was um I read an article. All right. It was online. I read the headline. And it was about some like 17-year-old kid who shot something and put it up on YouTube. And it's called I hope I'm not screwing up. I think it's called the back room. And it's this weird psychological hard hype short found footage kind of thing. And it's doing so well on YouTube that they're giving him a movie deal. That's awesome. And that happens. And yeah. this is it. what I'm talking about. Too often um, people say, well, I got to get all this stuff together before I start making a movie and all this blah, blah, blah. And they give themselves excuses. What do we say? The size of your butt determines the size of your success. So if you say, but, but, can't, but, but then you're, you're never going to succeed. So mm -hmm. here's the interesting thing. And, and again, I'll get this quote a little bit wrong, but Quentin Tarantino says, if you want to be a filmmaker, go make a movie. It's like that simple. Go yeah. make a movie. And we've all got the ability to do it. And I've got friends that, no kidding, I mean, um, you know, they've shot stuff on their phone. They've test, done tests that they've put on YouTube to see if people respond. They've even not had actors and they've set up their camera, flipped it around and bring it back into something like iMovie or one of these other programs and done their editing. And nobody knows that they're the only actor in their movie. Right. But they've done something. And yeah. I think this is key that so many of us just kind of we wait for things to happen. I can promise you already, if you're worried that it will suck, I'll just tell you right now, it's gonna. Because yeah. everybody's but it's okay. Sucks. Like that's that it's goes okay. back to that, like right. The majority of what artists can't make get is something not good. cool unless you've gone yeah. through something that sucks. That's exactly. the idea, right? So yeah. get your suck shit out of the way. Yeah. Just do something so you learn how to do it well and you'd be surprised, right? So here's one of the things a lot of people ask me. Um, what do I do to kind of keep my edge sharp? And no kidding, I'm always watching YouTube videos to learn because there's some incredible people out there teaching and sharing online. Uh, mm -hmm. We learn a lot. In fact, I went to film school, but I've learned more on YouTube. Then the other thing I'd say is, again, I'll also be reading everything that you can. So I'm always buying books, and especially even the magazines got great articles from the film people. And then, you know, the number one thing that worked, if you have money, this is easier, but it's not required. And that's to find people smarter than you and just work with them. Either hire yes. them or volunteer. Yep. Mm -hmm. like one of my first movies that I did, I, I produced and directed a movie called The Opus. And it's a personal development documentary. And so I had investors and people helping me with it. 
but I'd gone to film school and I'd you know been on a bunch of movie sets before, so I knew kind of what was going on. But now I'm the director for the first time. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of pressure here. So what I did is I hired this guy. His name's Renee Collins, and he was one of the camera operators on Brokeback Mountain, Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights, Good Luck Chuck, a bunch of them. And so I just shut up. I sat back, let him set up the camera, let him set up the lights, let him set up all the shots. And then he'd come over and goes, well, how does this look? And I'd come over and I'd go, well, just a minute. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. And I pretend that I basically, <laughs> right? Like I've been, I yeah. did next to nothing. And I said, okay, let's go. Anyways, yeah. on my, on the movie, my name's the guy directing it. But mm-hmm. really, let's be honest, I was there as a student and yeah. I never learned so much in my life except just watching this guy. So, I mean, if you can surround yourself with people far, far smarter than you, like who cares who gets the credit? Like, honestly, if it's your movie, you're going to get the credit anyways, whether you did any work at all or not. Right? Yeah. But the credit isn't, isn't really the goal here. The credit can go to whoever it is, right? You want to just learn. And I love what Steve Jobs said once. He says, we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. Yeah. So the same applies. You don't have to spend money to do that. You can. There's tons of Facebook forums and groups where you can join and say, hey, who wants to make a movie? And just go and hang out with other people that have made movies already. And you'll learn so much. Plus, they often bring their own equipment, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? and, and it's one of those, like, you, you really have to be open to that kind of... Oh, yeah. I, I, the people who are like, it's my way or the highway don't learn anything. But, and, and they also produce crap because all yeah. good stuff like that, like all success, if you think about it, even somebody like I've got a friend, he, he won a gold medal in the Olympics or silver medal, sorry. And um, he said, I've got a trainer. I've got nutritionists. I've got sponsors. I've got teammates as parents. Well, I fill in the blank with all those people. Success is always created by a team. It's never created by an individual. And yeah. if you think of a guy who's trying to do everything, and what you think about this, like what if we had an NFL player and it was his job to 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 pass and receive, but also to sell the tickets in the stand, clean the uniforms, book the hotels, book the travel. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, he's not going to be able to do nothing. So here's the deal. Don't step out of your comfort zone. Find out what you're good at. Step into your brilliance zone and find other people who can carry the rest. Yeah. Like, that's what's going to make you successful. And, and find the best people that you possibly can, right? It'd be easy to work with, I think. Yeah. By the way, the other thing I think is 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 important, especially in the creative world, don't burn bridges. Yep. Because everybody's always in motion. So if you've got somebody like, well, he sucks, or I'm jealous of that person, so I'll badmouth them or I'll say something, it always comes back. Yeah. And the reality is, is that guy who, like, like no kidding, I I was on a movie not too long ago. There was a guy that I I ran into that no kidding I knew years ago, but when I knew him the first time. He's basically pulling cables, doing nothing, getting coffee for people, uh, just kind of running errands. And some people treated him like shit. Well, now do you know he's producing and he's directing? And so now people are like, hey, I want to be your friend. But he remembers. Yeah. <laughs> he, knows he knows who his friends were when he was pulling cables. Everybody yeah. remembers, right? And I'm just, you know, I'm glad that at an early age, I learned how to be nice. Yeah. Because I think that that goes a long way. In fact, sometimes even more than talent. Because if you've got a guy who's super, super talented and he's just a dick, they'll skip over him to grab the guy who's moderately talented that they just want to work with. Right. Yeah. And it's the the easiest things, you know, don't be a dick. Be on time. 100%. You know. And you cost people money if you're not. So, again, I'm not saying I'm the most talented guy out there, but I promise I'm the nicest. So hire me. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I don't know, man. Like you sound like you don't have a lot of free time coming up. Well, lately, <laughs> you know, the, the other thing that I try to do too with all the filmmakers I do work with, I do try to help out. So obviously, when I'm doing podcasts like this, I try to mention the shows that I'm mm-hmm. on when I'm in 
getting interviewed by other things. I try to help those filmmakers because I want the show, if I'm going to be involved in it, I want it to succeed. Yeah. Right. I, I'm not one of these actors that just kind of punches it in and I did my job by see you later. I'm on the next project and good luck with that. I don't want to be that guy. I want people like I first of all only take on projects that I super love and I believe in. Um, but when I believe in it, man, I want to give something to it, too. I want to do everything I can to help this be a winner. Right. And it's one of those. Even, you know, just, I, you know, I want this to be a winner. It helps you <laughs> like it helps you if it's a winner, you know. Of course, everybody wins, right? Yeah. Everybody wins, right? So, and, and that goes back to that idea that I was talking about. Films are made in collaboration. It's just a collaboration too, right? You yeah. Know? So if everybody brings their best at the table, we should have something that's enjoyable in the end. Yeah, I was having a conversation with someone this morning, and I had gone to a fundraiser last night for local music and theater programs. And like, oh, that's really nice. You do a lot of you know charity work. And I'm like, I don't know if it's a lot, but you know, I feel like it's important you know, I always say you hold the door for the guy behind you. 100%. You know, when when I worked in you know retail, you always tried to train the guy to take your job. You know, well, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that. Somebody showed me a diagram one time, and if, if I was a really good artist like you, I'd probably try and draw it and show you. But this image was a mountain, but there's three people climbing on it. There's one reaching his hand down to help the guy in the middle up, and the guy in the <laughs> middle is down to help the guy at the end. And he goes, "No matter where you are in life, you're the guy in the middle. We need help from the people above us to help us get to wherever we're going." That's why fake it till you make it doesn't really work because people who are above you, they know if you're full of shit, right? Yeah. They totally can see it. So you've got to be teachable and you got to be willing. And then, of course, you can act as if, but that's a mental thing and it's done privately, not publicly. I mean, you're trying to be your best self and you're confident, but you're putting in the effort, right? Like mm -hmm. you're not faking it if you're really doing the skills and you're learning and you're trying to grow. So you need this person's help. But at the same time, it's your responsibility to help the person below you. And if you don't help the person below you, the guy up top is also going to quit on you too. Because right. that's just the way successful people are. They don't want to help assholes. Yeah. That right? Nobody wants their reputation tainted by saying, I brought this guy who's a – like it's like if, if you were to host a pool party at your house and you brought the guy that took a shit in the pool, everybody <laughs> like, oh, we're not coming over anymore to your house. Right. But if you bring somebody who's you know helpful and kind and – Everybody wants to see that guy win. Yeah. And so you'll have help and support from both, right? It, it's interesting that the 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 fake it till you make it thing is I always feel like that is a internal thing, not external. I feel like well, it's, it's always meant to, to cover the uh, the imposter syndrome type thing. You know? I, I agree. And you know what? That That's also a big challenge that I think a lot of these people have when they're faking it is that you can only keep that up for so long because you will get found out, right? And so yeah. it, it's just so important, I think, that you've got to be learning. Now, I want to caveat this, though. You will still make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. So there's going to be days that you're going to still like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. Like, it's hilarious. Um, like, I do public speaking, too, sometimes, right? Like, I go mm -hmm. out and do that, especially with the personal development movies I did. And I'll never forget, I went to this one event. And no kidding, up until that point, I'd spoken publicly in front of large groups. Uh, I think the largest group I've spoken was 6,000 people in an audience. But yep. all of a sudden, I had this one event. I'd already done like 200 events. And no kidding, I looked at this audience. There was literally 200 people there. And I got nervous because there were some people in there that I knew and some people I that they were highly successful. And I started second-guessing myself, right? I am totally in this position right now. Are I'm, you? I yeah. am moderating a panel at the end of this month at the Bar and Restaurant Expo. I've moderated panels before. 
but much smaller panels. So now right. I'm kind of like, oh shit, did I kind of overstep my my? But I mean, that's the point. You know. overstep to to make it a new yeah. area. But so give me some advice. What, what do so what do I? One of the things that I I did anyway. So I was sitting kind of in the green room before going out, and I was I just through my mind went through all the events that I'd previously done that were successful to just remind myself, you've done this a million times, and you can do this. Yeah. Right. And the more that I did that, the more I was kind of like, hey. But you know what the actual big thing was? Trust myself and have fun. Right? In fact, no kidding. Even some of the movies I've done, I get on the set and I see there's a big actor there that I've admired for years. Now I've got to go do a scene with this guy. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, oh my gosh. Actually, one, one that was really cool who just passed away was Tom Sizemore. I did a show with Tom Sizemore not too long ago. And um, you know, it's funny. When we arrived on set, he was like, yeah, the script is not great. Do you want to improv this with me? So I'm just being invited to forget everything that I spent time learning and thinking about. And he says, we're going to improv this on the spot. And what do you say to that guy? No, you'll have to. <laughs> I think we should stick to the script, that, Mr. Right? Sizemore. <laughs> yeah, enjoy yourself. I'll watch from back here. Yeah. Um, oh, so I said, let's do it. And I think that that idea of just having fun with it is it goes a long way. Because I think when we overthink it and then we think, oh, man, we're being judged or we've got to have it a certain way or we've got to. You know, we can't forget these kinds of things. And we, we overthink it and we end up dropping the ball because we're not in the moment, right? Yeah. We're not present anymore. We're, we're somewhere else trying to sort it out. So I think the biggest thing that you could do for that moderation, just go in there and have fun. Be your person. Like, no kidding. Our time together, I've enjoyed chatting with you. And people are going to enjoy watching it and just be present and be real. And as you're moderating, obviously, listen carefully to what's going on around you. And yeah. be spontaneous. Like, I'm sure all your stand-up comedy friends would say half the best jokes come when somebody in the audience says something ridiculous that you can play off of. Of course, yeah, yeah. So if you're you're not present, you'll never see those moments, right? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent advice. I appreciate that. Let me know how it goes. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where can people go to find out what you're working on, all your social media, all your plugs and all that? Yeah, so basically anywhere you type in my name, Douglas Vermeeran, you're going to find me. So I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on all all those things, uh, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Um, I also have a bunch of stuff on YouTube. So a lot of times we we send out a bunch of behind the scenes stuff, which is really, really cool. Um, So that's about it. But what I will mention is, is there are some imposters out there. I was looking the other day, there was this picture of me. And then I clicked on that profile. I'm like, I didn't set this up. And I see it with some lady from the Philippines. Oh, so that one is not me. She's not going to be super interesting for you guys to follow. Or maybe she will be. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But but just just make sure you get the ones that's me. Um, and um, yeah, we have a fun time. And uh, yeah, that's movies for you, right? I, I was talking with a, a business friend of mine just the other day. And I was telling her how we get a lot of scammers that try to pose as us and she's like really i'm like i take it as a compliment like we're worth their time to try and you know hustle other people it sucks but i mean you know, you know what's interesting is one of my friends he was in the movie the secret i don't know if you remember that a couple of years ago i don't that think so personal development thing is on oprah and larry king and all it was a big deal anyways he was saying the minute that movie came out and he became somewhat of a celebrity because of that he knows people all over would like buy the domain name of his name yeah, without him, and then they would put up fake profiles and all stuff. And he he said that the best way that I found to deal with it is to actually contact them, and rather than tell them shut it down, simply say I'm glad you admire my work. Would you be interested to partner with me? And so if they've taken the effort to buy all these assets to kind of like hijack his stuff. He said many of them just said, yeah, I, I'll partner with you, and then they became official sort of friends. Yeah. But they control it a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And then you know 
creates revenue stream, or whatever. So I don't know. I, I've tried to reach out to some of those. They don't always return my calls. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is, right? But yeah. I, I think so. We have always struggled to try to like we're 300 and I don't know, 30 some odd episodes in. And I don't have like a good closing and I never have. And I've kind of messed around with it and I put on the guest a few times. But I think something that you said was so simple and is a recurring thing. And it, it is literally like any is founded on two premises is everyone is welcome to be involved and it has to be fun. Has to be fun. So yeah. if it's not fun, everybody finds out soon, soon enough. Right. And then yeah. you, can't, you can't create anything great when you're angry or upset or hurt. Right. Yeah. So I, it, it's true. You can you can create depressed, depressing kind of music or art or these kinds of things, and that's an outlet. But you got to realize, even as you're depressed, creating something, it's healing. So mm-hmm. you are finding, in a sense, some fun by releasing that, and right. your energy and your heart is there. So when I say fun, I don't mean it always has to be filled with cotton candy. Right. It has to be fulfilling, and that brings fun, right? That brings, how should you call it? Maybe a better word is immediate gratification. It brings you're involved in something that's giving you joy or, or fulfillment. Yeah. So I'm going to say thank you for joining us. And I'm going to say to our listeners, we'll catch you guys again next week and go out and have some fun. And thank you for having me. Yeah. That's it, man. Easy peasy. And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns, or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.